On today's episode, we're discussing the topic of faith. Faith is not uniquely Occidental, but each of today's guests embody their faith in uniquely Occidental ways. Today, you'll find out how. I'm your host, Michael Heitzler, and this is Occidental Thoughts. Hi, folks, and welcome to the very first episode of Occidental Thoughts. I'm so excited for today's episode and our panel of guests. Uh, Before I introduce them, though, it's worth noting that today we're recording this show in challenging times, times when faith has become something that many people have turned to. Uh, My hope is that at any time that you may find this program, these stories may bring insight into someone else's story or perhaps inspiration for your own. I'm joined by a very exciting panel today. I'm joined by Dr. Dorothy Marsick, Mohammed Cologne, and Melissa Harlow. Uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to have each and every one of them. And I'm going to begin our discussion today with Melissa Harlow. Hi, Melissa. Welcome to the program. Welcome to Occidental Thoughts. Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me. <laughs> My pleasure. Uh, Melissa is an actress, director, producer, and she's also the Children, Youth, and Family Outreach Minister at Samuel United Church of Christ in St. Louis. Melissa, I have a question for you. I have a question for all of the folks on the panel today, which is how has your faith assisted you during these challenging times? <laughs> the The first thing that pops into my head when when I hear a question like this is usually it's not helping me. Really? Um, so thank you so much for having me on. Uh, have a great night. <laughs> no, I'm, but it, but it's, it's really not a simple answer for me. Um, the, the faith of my childhood was all about having a personal relationship with God. And I always mm-hmm. felt like that was a one way street. Mm-hmm. Or if I did feel something, then I wondered, was that manifested? Did I manipulate that experience? Maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. I, I can't be sure. I don't know. But I took a quiz on spiritual gifts when I first interviewed for the position of family outreach minister at Samuel UCC. And it listed, I don't know, 20 spiritual gifts, an hour-long quiz my friend and I took in the car on a road trip. And it compiles all your answers to all these spiritual questions and then ranks all the different spiritual gifts, discernment, mentorship, stewardship, yada, yada, from your strongest gifts to your least. Now, it's just a quiz, right? But the very last (laughs) spiritual gift listed for me was faith. The very last. Very last. And my friend said, maybe you shouldn't take this job. <laughs> but, but I really, I really love my job. And right now, my, I guess, supposed lack of faith doesn't really bother me. Well, Melissa, let me ask you this. Has your position as an outreach minister helped to seek your faith in others, even when you may have doubts yourself? Although you ranked last in faith. <laughs> <laughs> I... I really think, I I feel like I have to really, I I struggle with it, but then I find all these moments that, of course, I see, you know, my faith or I I see it when I look for it. My my gut action, my gut response is just like, no, it's not there. But for as much as I claim to be uncertain, where I never struggle is finding God and finding my faith in people. And that is certainly what has carried me through this pandemic. And that is a part of my faith that I think I've become hyper aware of during this time. Was that faith in other people? Um, 
I more so maybe finding God in other people. I don't know find I don't know if faith in other people. Finding that, God in that's other a, people. Finding God, finding my faith in other people. And in some ways I've slowed down and been able to really think about the needs of others and how maybe I could meet those needs or what my own needs are and how those can be met. So it sounds like and and perhaps this is part of your position during this time, but it sounds to me what you're saying is moreover than the focus on how your faith can be assisting you during these times, then you're positively reinforcing that and redirecting that energy to not only, as you say, find God in other people, but also use that energy to help other people and help them find their faith. Right. Right. I think it's it's more so asking I think the, this time period is asking me to have faith more than ever before. That's not and what your faith can do for you. Ask what you right, can do for right, your faith. <laughs> right. Right. And I think that faith for me, that faith in action looks like building a more just and a peaceful world for all. And I think it's time It's time to go to work. It is time to go to work. Thank you, Melissa. I'm, I'm going to pause there for a moment. I'm going to shift our panel over to our next illustrious guest. Uh, Mohammed Cologne, I welcome you to the panel, sir. He's a gifted illustrator. He's a proud husband and father, and he has one of the most intricate tapestries of both cultural and religious diversity that I, I personally have ever known. I want to welcome Mohammed to the program. Hi, Mohammed. Hi. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. It's my pleasure. Thank you for joining us. And I pose the same question to you, sir. How has your faith uh, assisted you during these challenging times? You know, I, I feel like Melissa and I are, are coming from very similar places because um, through these challenging times, I have found that my my faith has been bolstered in in, in that I, I have a deeper sense of faith in faith itself, but yet at the same time, in sort of a, a juxtaposition, my faith in religious institutions has waned. Interesting. And can you just give the audience a, a sense of your, I mean, I, I, I said it essentially in the introduction, <laughs> but can you kind of give the audience a sense of what your journey through, through organized religion has been? I was born into a, a, a multi-faith family. So uh, my mom was raised uh, very heavily Catholic. My mom's from Haiti uh, and my dad uh, was from Morocco. Uh, and so um, he was born and raised Muslim. So the tradition is that if you're born into a Muslim family, you're Muslim. So his gotcha. perception was that I was Muslim. Uh, <laughs> so um, <laughs> my parents split uh, very early on in my life. Since then, I, I grew up with my mom. Uh, she became Protestant, uh, and I followed suit with her. I uh, attended uh, Wesleyan Church and be, you know, became a full-fledged believer. And I was um, you know, very, very actively in, a, a member of my church. Uh, and mm-hmm. eventually, after high school, would go on to Bible college. I studied... Uh, ministerial education. And then I was an associate pastor for seven and a half years in a church in Kansas, uh, taught in a Christian day school, preached a whole bunch. <laughs> um, <laughs> but through through seeing the reactions of the church community that I was a part of during this pandemic, that's where things have begun to change for me. Really? Where the church communities that, that I've been a part of up here uh, in, in Ohio didn't really pay attention to what 
was obvious dangers and continued to hold services indoors, continued to have a lot of disregard for for the safety of their congregants. And that really was off-putting for myself and my family. We live about 30 minutes away from the church that we attended. Um, mm-hmm. And for us, a family of five with small children to, you know, go to church in, that, in, in this climate that we're in, one, wasn't feasible, two, wasn't practical, and it showed carelessness in, in, to me that they, there was a lot of lack of care to be careful. Uh, so because of that, um, you know, I began to distance myself. From the church, from the congregation. Sure. Right. And, and I think a lot of people certainly in these times have, have faced that decision. You know, a- am I going to attend? Am I not going to attend? And thereover, how do I, how do I practice my faith at home? And exactly. you being a family man, I'm, I'm curious to ask the question. So then how do you carry your faith over into the household? I mean, you say, I, I had to make a decision as a father, as a parent, to distance right. myself from the congregation because of their choices to, to congregate in that. And we can, we can talk all night, I'm sure about mm-hmm. um, you know the many ways in which people are coming together including this very program we're we're coming together from four or five completely different places today just to talk to one another so I, I pose the the subsequent question to you then did you carry faith back home even with the kids you know we're not going to go to church anymore but those practices are still part of our everyday life so yeah absolutely well with my kids we still you know, one, they know that it, when it's bedtime, it's prayer time, right? My, my girls will literally tell me, okay, daddy, now it's time to pray. And my, one of my, <laughs> I have twin daughters. And <laughs> so one of my daughters will literally tell me, oh, this is what you need to say, daddy. You need to include <laughs> my sister and myself and our brother and mommy and daddy and everybody else, right? And so that's right. You know, that's right. Everyone they, on the list. Check, check, check. Right. They, they make me check those things off, you know. My personal feelings about organized religion, I, I don't want to push that on the kids, right? Um, sure. I, I want them to still have that joyous faith. And so I, I continue to to instill that in them. Um, we still read stories and we still talk about faith things, uh, even though my kids are, are very young. But we maintain that um, in, in the family unit. And does their enthusiasm inspire it again within you, even even as disillusioned as you may be with yeah, the congregation it, of those decisions. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it does. Um, I, I, I was just thinking recently, you know, music is a very important part of my life. And when I stop and a tune comes to my head, it's usually a church song, you know, a hymn or a chorus or something. And even though I'm, I'm in this state where I'm like, okay, I'm not sure if I want to believe everything that these songs say, they come back and it just mm-hmm. makes, it wells up within me. I feel like, you know, and that's a, that's a phraseology that's very Christian, you know? Uh, yes. <laughs> but <laughs> I would say so. <laughs> but it, it's, it's, it's very true though. Um, you know, in those moments, in these moments of darkness, uh, I, I once was told by a professor in Bible college that some of the best theology that a person can have is actually hymnology, mm. meaning that music and the lyrics will actually instill truths in you a lot deeper than just, say, reading it or reciting something. Mm. And I, I find that to be true because even when I grapple with should I have faith or not, 
these songs still remind me, wait, there is something bigger than you that you can look to. I have to say, Mohammed, something really struck me that you said, which is joyous faith in reference in reference to your children. I just I I I, I love the way you put that. And oh. we're going to continue to talk about kids and faith. And just for our listeners out there, we're going to do additional content uh, after the program. So if you if you want to hear more about this topic, like I do, uh, we're going to do more content, and it's called Occidental Afterthoughts. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook and find that there. So the conversation will continue. Thank you, Mohammed. I want to take that joyous faith moment to roll into our, our very next guests. And when I think about their particular faith, I, I, I think a myriad of, of joyous feelings. But first, let me introduce uh, Dr. Dorothy Marsick. She is a Fulbright scholar, was a Fulbright scholar, is a best-selling author of 15 books, a motivational speaker, a screenwriter, a playwright, a professor at Columbia University. But most of all, most of all, she's a woman of faith. And I'm pleased to welcome to the program Dr. Dorothy Marsick. Hi, Dorothy. Hi, Michael. Great to be here. Pleased to have you. I'm posing the same question to you that I'm posing to the others on the panel. How has your faith assisted you during these challenging times? Well, that's a, such a really good question because um, I'm a member of the Baha'i faith and mm -hmm. I've been a Baha'i since I was in college, so it's been decades. And Baha'is have always been told that we were going to go through some travails in the world or sometime around the change of the 20, 21st century and mm. that the um, institutions of the world were created for an earlier time and we live in a different era now and the the um, systems are going to start to collapse but it was a combination of the rolling up of the old world order and the spreading out of the new world order mm -hmm. and so Baha'is have been waiting for this for a long time. <laughs> I have to say, I did not think it was going to be so long and so painful. Really? It's very painful. It's very painful watching institutions collapse. But, but that's what we focus on. But if you look around, I'm, I go to the UN. I'm a part of the UN of the um, Commission on the Status of Women every year. We're 25,000 mostly women, but some men come from all over the world who are working in government and NGOs. They are so on fire. And as one of my friends who goes every, was a delegate also, she says, these are not only people who are trying to change the world, they believe they can. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you go there and you see uh, uh, projects against human trafficking, against female genital mutilation, against um, sun preference, which is abortions when there's not, when there's a girl. And, um, many things. I have a daughter who works for CARE in Netherlands. She supervises uh, female empowerment programs in nine countries in the Middle East, Africa, wow. and Latin America. And CARE found out about 20 years ago, because they, they started out as being um, uh, humanitarian, you know, care packages after World War II and disasters. Then they started a developmental part, which she's in, and they found that um, if you didn't include women and girls in the development, it didn't stick. So all their development mm. programs now are for women and girls. So there's all these things happening around the world, which is about this new system that's being built from the ground up. But we tend, we're focusing all on the negative, which is very, yeah. I'm not going to say. Yeah. But, but this is what Baha'is have been told. Baha'u'llah was the founder of the Baha'i faith, said this 150 years ago. And it's the same with religion. Religion Baha'is believe all the religions come from God, but they, 
they go through seasons because each uh, springtime is needed. And then after some hundred or a thousand years, the, the system starts to get corrupt and people lose their way and it, it's disheartening. And then a new prophet or, or minister, um, messenger from God comes. And so we believe in all the holy books and Baha'u'llah is for this age because his message is about creating this new world for all of humanity that all of us are children of God, no matter what race, what color, where we come from, and that we have to learn to work together. And and we can see now, I mean, I used to say these, you know, 20 years ago, but it, I have to say since the, the um, you know, the last four years and also the pandemic that people are more awake. And one thing I often say to people is um, in the Catholic church, I, I'm not a Catholic, but my mother married a Catholic and became Catholic, so I was very close to it. But in, in Catholic religion, despair is a mortal sin, which means mm -hmm. if you die with a mortal sin, you go to hell. Yeah. So that's a serious thing. And, you know, I say this to people and they all stop to think. And so we have to learn, get out of the despair because it doesn't do anybody any good. It doesn't Absolutely. the world get any better complaining. And there are so many ways to work. There's, you can just um, you can't toss a pebble without finding somebody who's working on an NGO or some project, whether it's voter registration or female general mutilation or, or race uh, justice. Um, get involved in that. And, and I'm saying, I'm, I'm hopeful as a Baha'i because I, we knew this was coming. And mm. we pray every day. We pray that the suffering will be lessened. But the world has to go through this in order to to um, create systems that fill the needs of the age in which we live. Absolutely, and I, I think in a, in a time of, as you say, discouragement um, about the systems that may be failing us, just to merely hear your words, Dorothy, about being prepared and acknowledging that other individuals through their faith, regardless of what it is, are gathering together to make that change, to still light that fire within themselves, that that uh, that's incredibly encouraging i think to so many people listening who may be seeking their individual faith journey um that that is that is a match that lights the fire so in the baha'i faith we believe that um man has different parts we have our physical material being we have our intellectual and then we have our spiritual and the soul is the center of our spiritual being and the soul can perceive things that the intellect can't sometimes and mm -hmm. can learn and through prayer and meditation and also just connecting with other human beings and and living in justice and trying to bring about justice, we can see, I mean, going into nature, I think anybody can relate to that, that something wells up within you and you get, if you really take time and look at it, you start to see things that connect. Wow, that water is flowing. That's mm -hmm. like the, the flowing water of our spirits into the, in the spirit world. I mean, you can make so many analogies. Of course. And that's our soul understanding the world around us, because in the Baha'i teachings, it says the physical world is a manifestation of the spiritual world and helps us to understand what the spiritual world is. And our soul is very important and, and something we in our society don't talk about much. 
No, we don't. And and it's I actually want to use that as a as a perfect segue because I want to I want to open back up to the panel here and and talk exactly about that, Dorothy. I think these days we're talking a lot. We're using the particular word stimulus a lot, right? We're and we think of it in an economic sense. And I, I think just having this panel together, in particular to what you just said, are are we missing something? Are we should we be asking ourselves collectively a bigger question? Are we in need of a spiritual stimulus? And I. I'd love to hear what any of you on the panel have to say about that. I think many of us need something to shock our spiritual system or have needed. And yeah, that stimulus is very possibly, you know, the state of the world right now, because it is awakening people to have some more self-examination. I mean, isolation naturally breeds examination. And that connects directly to what Dorothy was saying about being with nature. I think this time, to your point, is affording people much more time to be able to do that and go on that spiritual journey. Melissa, what do you say about stimulus? I, I, uh, I think that we are being forced to listen and see things differently. I think there are a lot of things that we can appreciate about the awakening, maybe, that this might, this might be bringing to us spiritually? Well, I think religion by its nature is mystical. And people are searching for that mystical feeling. And I think it's one reason that sex is so emphasized in our culture, because it's the closest thing you can get to a mystical feeling without believing in God or, or having those experiences. And if you don't have it, you, we, we search, we, we love it, we want it. And if you can connect to that mystical in religion, which I have, and, and through reading, and, and, and every religion has a mystical component. I, I mean, there's the Sufis and Islam and the Christian mystics and you know Buddhists and so on. And when we religion, though, over time sometimes becomes uh, less of mystical and more of dogma, and that's when we start to feel like it's not working anymore. But, but people want the mystical experience. I have a pastor friend of mine who once told me the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is certainty. And certainty can lead to arrogance. And that really resonated with me because it took away this feeling like I had to solve this grand mystery. I can appreciate the mystical aspects of God and creation and all that we are. Well, that makes so much sense. Well, whether attaining the mystical or not, are there practices that each of you uh, use to help reconnect or stimulate your spiritual senses? Uh, well, I have several spiritual groups I'm part of, and now we do Zoom. But I, you know, um, I can, some of them are regular and some of them are episodic and, and, um, when I feel like I need it, I can uh, go with those people because it, it often helps to be with other people or I can just start reading some of the, some spiritual um, religious writings from a number of religions. For me, like I mentioned earlier, it um, music always brings me back around. So I feel like we most need that stimulus when we're at a spiritual low point in our life. You know, we, we go through seasons. And for me, just reminding myself of the truths that I know from songs and the truths that I know from my studies. And then 
honestly, with kids, just observing them when they're at their purest gives me that stimulus, if you will, to remind myself of the faith that I may be lacking. I feel like it's a muscle for me that that I have to exercise. Yes. <laughs> and and I have to choose to be cognizant of it and think about it and talk about it or else I just might not. Yeah, I that's such a good point because it's sort of like whatever whatever you exercise. If you go to the gym and work on your arms, your arms are going to become strong. Uh, if you don't do your legs are going to be weaker. So it's it's the spiritual muscle do we choose to exercise it that's something else we talk about all the time and never with respect to spirituality or faith is a workout right everyone wants to be in great shape but what about what about our fitness and faith and you know what michael when when i think about it sometimes it takes those moments in our life that are just like gut wrenching i think about the death of my father that was a horrid experience for me in comparison to the rest of my life. But yet at the same time, in the depth of that despair, that's like the, the release of it over time has bolstered my faith. Like when you go through a difficult situation like that, which, you know, all of us have gone through something like that, it, it brings you down, right? But it's, it's that just like when you cry, that breath afterwards, I feel like that exercising of faith, of that breathing back in happens as we go through those deep valleys and we come out um, and, and see see the, the sunshine on the other side. Yeah, and I think having faith yeah, when I, you go through those, you, mm-hmm. you see it as like seeing the end in the beginning or you understand it's part of um, the universe or God's planning or, or whatever, you know, that you're able to have the strength to go through these really, really difficult times like Muhammad was talking about without faith or, or some kind of inner inner strength you're just complaining and wailing and and so oh, on so i find and the more we suffer the more it's like um when you're plowing i grew up on a dairy farm in wisconsin <laughs> you plow and and the deeper the the rows the the better the seeds can grow and it's like when when we have these tests we get we can get deeper and deeper and, and become stronger people and Dorothy, perhaps you see it differently through faith, because as you describe as a Baha'i, you've been preparing for these kinds of moments. And you're, you're confident that regardless of, of beliefs or faith through unity, we can meet these challenges. Yeah, two of the things that are really important in the Baha'i faith are justice. The Baha'u'llah said the most best beloved of all things in my sight is justice, and that includes on a personal level, national, whatever, you can talk about it race or economic or you know many many things but also unity that um um, baha'u'llah said unless and until we achieve unity we can't solve the problems of the world and he also said that if a religion comes and it brings disunity it's better not to have religion wow whether or not a religion is worth having, I think each of you today have shared with us that faith is certainly worth having, and it comes in many shapes and forms. My sincerest thanks to Melissa Harlow, Mohammed Cologne, and Dr. Dorothy Marsick. And to each of you listening, thanks for joining us. Keep the faith, and join us again next time on Occidental Thoughts. Occidental Thoughts.